If you all can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And please open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19 will be our scripture this morning. Really enjoying this series, seeing Christ in all of Scripture together with you. And uh, before we kind of read the Scriptures and kind of dive in there, I want to just share a few pastoral thoughts um, on all the matters uh, surrounding the coronavirus. Um, a couple of things I just want to share is, as we are processing through those things, remember that God is sovereign, um, that He is in control of every atom and molecule in the universe. Um, as the coronavirus spreads, remember, brothers and sisters, that it does not spread for one moment outside of God's control. And uh, let that fill your heart with peace uh, this morning. So trust in the Lord and take whatever precautions and protective measures are deemed wise and that God lays on your heart. But let those be taken in keeping with a steady reliance upon not those protective measures, but reliance on the Lord and peace in Him. Uh, Let us all remember that God is who determines the day of our birth and the day of our death. Do not give way to fear. Know that our lives are in God's good hands. Hands that were pierced for us. And let us pray for the sick around the world. Let us also look for opportunities in this current climate of fear to share about the security that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, We have church invitations in the back to our church service. But on the back, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, it just says, Jesus died on the cross and rose again for sinners. The Bible says anyone who repents of their sins and believes in Christ will be forgiven and reconciled to God. Have you repented and trusted in Christ? We would love to have you join us in our mission together to exalt, proclaim, and enjoy Jesus Christ. So there's a brief gospel presentation on the back of our invitations for church. I want to encourage you to grab a bunch of these. We have them in the back. Load them up in your wallet. Load them up in your purse. And just pray for the Lord to open doors of opportunity to be able to share the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ in the midst of a culture that is filled with fear. For unbelievers, they are right to fear death. Um, And there are many things and many uh, dangers out there that it's right for them to fear because they do not have the security of the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ's blood. Only we as Christians have the good news of Christ that He shed His blood and died on the cross for us. So only Christians truly are ready for death at all times. And we do not need to fear death. Because Christ has overcome death by rising from the dead on the third day. And so let all of us 
recognize that God wants our hearts to be filled with trust in Him and peace in Him that flows out from the glorious gospel and the finished work of Christ. Amen? I hope that encourages your heart. We have wonderful opportunities in these days to present the gospel of Christ to a fearful, fearful world that so desperately needs to hear that there's security in Jesus Christ if they'll repent and believe in Him. Amen? Well, brothers and sisters, as we uh, look at 2 Samuel chapter 19 this morning, I want to uh, let you know we're approaching the end of 2 Samuel, and uh, we're kind of approaching the end of David's life. And so I've been so enjoying looking at the life of David together with you, and also just looking and seeing Christ in all of Scripture, seeing King David as a type of Christ, a forerunner of Christ, the first king in the royal line from the tribe of Judah leading up to Christ. And that continues on here in 2 Samuel chapter 19. And I've entitled the message, Does the King Have His Rightful Place in Your Heart? Does the King, King Jesus, have His rightful place in your heart? I'm going to read 2 Samuel chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Let's read God's Word together. It was told Joab... Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. Just by way of context, remember that King David's son Absalom was just killed in battle after he had betrayed his father, King David, and really through treacherous action and through selfish ambition seized the, the throne for himself. And David, his father, was, was, he needed to flee into exile But then David's armies eventually were in battle against Absalom's armies, and Absalom was put to death. The story is right in chapter 18, and it's a powerful story because one of the things that I want to highlight in relation to the story with Absalom was he he is a king who was caught between heaven and earth, hung up in a tree, and pierced through his heart. That's how he died. And we looked at this a few weeks ago. Absalom was a wicked man who deserved that death. But Jesus likewise, the king of kings, was caught and hung between heaven and earth on a tree and likewise was pierced through his own heart. But Christ Jesus was innocent, and he died for our sins. Absalom died for his own. Christ died for our own. And anybody here who repents and believes in Jesus, and his hanging suspended between heaven and earth on the cross, pierced through his own heart for you, will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. But that truth, when Absalom was killed in battle, broke King David's heart. And this is where we find ourselves in the context in 2 Samuel chapter 19. Look at verse 2. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. It's another freeze frame here. 
Ponder the grief of King David for his rebellious son who sinned against him. And think of the grief in King David. It says in verse 3, the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. The grief over King David over his rebellious son's death. Think of the grief God the Father had over King Jesus, the perfect, innocent, righteous one's death. And all the pain that it entailed for God the Father to send Jesus to die on that cross for our sins. And the grief in David's voice, oh Absalom, oh Absalom, that God the Father would love his son so much and be so pained at him needing to die for our sins because he loved them so much. And yet it was the will of the Lord to crush his only son because so great is his love for you, beloved. The pain in his heart with the killing of His own Son. And yet God the Father chose to forsake Jesus, His Son, on the cross. Grieved as He was and pained as He was, He turned away and forsook Jesus because Jesus was our sin bearer and our sacrifice of atonement. Oh, brothers and sisters, Let us marvel at the amazing love of God for us that He would send His only Son to rescue us. Verse 4 says, The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Lord, we thank You so much for the opportunity to worship You through hearing Your Word. And I pray that we would apply it to our hearts this morning as we reflect on the trials of King David. And we see the king's trials, but also the king's faithful servants. I pray that we would be moved by the trials of King David as he got on older in life. But we would also be motivated to be amongst the king's faithful Jesus, I pray You would find us good and faithful servants. That You would transform us into good and faithful servants for Your glory. It's in Your name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's look first at this point. The King's Trials. Um, Maybe the, the first thing to mention in relation to King David's trials and even King Jesus' trials Um, is that here we see that he lost his son Absalom. If you go on in the text, and we don't have time to go into every single detail of every text, because this this sermon's going to cover 2 Samuel chapter 19 through chapter 21. But if you look beginning at verse 5, it says, Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters. And look at verse 6, because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. 
You've made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. It's absolutely not true. Joab was a hothead here. We see he was instrumental in actually putting Absalom to death himself when King David ordered that Absalom not be put to death. He was rebellious in relation to, he was the commander of the army. It's important to note also Joab is, is King David's nephew that puts things in perspective for you. And he comes in boldly while the king's grieving the loss of his son and heaps more burden onto him. And so someone who ought to have been able to come alongside and comfort King David as both family and right-hand man commander is actually adding to his grief, adding to his troubles. He actually threatens King David here and says, listen, if you don't get up out of your grieving and go sit before the people, I'm going to lead all these people away and my treachery and walking away from you will be worse than Absalom's or anything you ever experienced before in your youth. Comforting words, uh, Joab. Well done. Um, So sad the, the level of trial that he brought upon his king in this moment when his king was grieving the loss of his son Absalom. I think one of the things to note here, brothers and sisters, sort of big picture, scoping back, looking into the text of Scripture, Old Testament and New. Here's a, here's a big arching point. Being a man or a woman after God's own heart, like King David is described as a man after God's own heart, being a man or a woman after God's own heart does not mean that we escape suffering in this fallen world. There can be this mentality that if I'm godly, I'm not going to suffer. But if you look at King Jesus' life, there was nobody who was perfectly godly except him. And yet he's described as a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. If Jesus, the perfectly righteous Son of God, suffered in this fallen world, Let us also remember that we also are going to have our share of sufferings in this fallen world. And let us not be surprised at when they come. But to as Hebrews says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. God loves you as sons and daughters. That's one of the reasons and one of the good purposes in hardship, suffering and trials is that it causes us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, 2 Corinthians 1 says. And so we are not going to escape trial and suffering in this life. Even righteous man after God's own heart, King David, suffered. It's funny, in my quiet times this past week, I was uh, reading in Psalm chapter 30. And in Psalm chapter 36 and 7, David actually says that in my prosperity, I thought to myself, I'm not going to be moved. I've got the throne. I've got Jerusalem. I've got all the mountains of Jerusalem around me. My throne is established. He was saying in a false sense of security, I will not be moved. And yet God is about the business of bringing down, brothers and sisters, our false securities. If you feel like the Lord is stripping away false securities in your life and causing you to feel frantic and even panicky at times, you feel an anxiety rushing in on you. King David understood this as well because he thought, I will not be moved in my prosperity. I have completely surrounded myself with enough power and security that this cannot be touched. And yet Absalom was raised up 
and King David was sent into exile. And there's suffering, there are trials in the life of every true believer. And it is no sign, brothers and sisters, it is no sign that God has abandoned you. Satan is going to come and try to tell you that God is abandoning you and it's wrong that you are suffering the way you are. But no, brothers and sisters, let us take it to heart that in this world, Jesus said, we will have trouble. We will have anxiety. We will enter into the pathway of our Savior who was described as a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. And so let us take that to heart because in 19 through 21, David's getting toward the end of his life. You're thinking, here's a man after God's own heart. He should be able to kind of ride off into the sunset in life. And if anybody's worthy of that, it's him. And, and, and taking it one step further to King Jesus, if there was ever anyone who deserved to live a king's life where he did not need to suffer, it's our Jesus, who from the time of his birth, was hunted. And all the way to his death, he suffered. He was betrayed by his very own and pierced through his own heart for our sins. But brothers and sisters, all of Christ's sufferings have purchased for us, and please take note of this and be comforted by it, Christ's sufferings have purchased for us an eternal future where there will be no suffering. Our sufferings are temporary for us as Christians. Unbelievers will suffer forever in hell for their unbelief and their unrepentance toward our Lord. If they would just turn to Him and repent and believe and lay hold of Christ by faith, Christ would save them. But they go on and on in their rebellion and their rejection of Christ. They will not bow the knee to King Jesus. And as... Alex read in worship this morning, we are to kiss the Son lest He be angry and we perish in the way for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. There is no refuge from Christ. There is only refuge in Christ. Let us all take refuge in our suffering crucified and resurrected King Jesus who even right now is on His throne. And let us as good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ not turn our backs on God when we meet hardship and suffering and believe the lies of the evil one that God has abandoned us. Why don't we abandon Him? No. Brothers and sisters, Hebrews says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. God is treating you and I as sons and daughters. And there is suffering in this fallen world, even for the most faithful of the king's servants. He loves you. He's working all things together for good for you. Do not ever forget it. Trust in Him. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness as Scripture says. So the king's life is filled with trials. The king's life is also surrounded by faithful servants. And so the second point this morning is the king's faithful. So we looked for a moment there at the king's trials. We also look at the king's faithful. You know, it's amazing. You think of uh, David here. Joab 
comes and rebukes him for focusing solely on his own suffering. And no doubt there were men in the army who had died, the army suffering as well. And there, there, there could have been a point there in terms of just David needing to lift up his eyes beyond just his own personal suffering and seeing the men of Judah's suffering as well, the men of Israel's suffering as well. And I was thinking about that and pondering it with King Jesus. He was suffering himself as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's being forsaken by his father. And yet Isaiah 53 says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. There's only one king who as he's carrying his own sorrow and grief, likewise carried all of ours at the same time perfectly and died for it to save us from it. One perfect king, and that's King Jesus. And I'm so thankful for him, aren't you? So we looked at the king's trials. Let's look also at the king's faithful. And let's ask the question, does the king have his rightful place in our hearts? King David, I mentioned, was in exile. You see this in 2 Samuel chapter 19. Now with Absalom dead, the rebellious armies disbanded. King David is now free to come back to Jerusalem. He was in exile He was being hidden by a man named Barzillai, who you'll see later on, this 80-plus-year-old man who uh, wasn't able to step onto the battlefield anymore, but he was used his means and his wealth to supply food and bedding to King David and his men out in exile and out in the wilderness. Now David and his men are able to head back into the city. Before they do that, they need to cross the Jordan River. And as they're on their way to crossing the Jordan River, we see a number of situations arise in 2 Samuel chapter 19. One of the first ones is Shimei shows up again. Do you remember Shimei from a couple chapters before this? Shimei cursed King David. He was a relative of King Saul. And when David went out of the city of Jerusalem in exile, Shimei used it as an opportunity to just mock and curse King David And called him all kinds of names, cursing him as he was humiliated and walking out of Jerusalem. Well, now the tables have turned. And King David is coming back into Jerusalem with power. And he's the rightful king. Shimei goes before King David on his knees and pleads for mercy. He also brings a thousand men with him as well. But he pleads for mercy. One of... David's soldiers again says, should we not put this man to death? For he has cursed the Lord's anointed. You see that in 2 Samuel chapter 19. He's cursed the king. Shouldn't he be killed? And David, once again, he rebukes the man who recommends death for Shimei. And King David shows grace to Shimei, who's now on his knees before him pleading for mercy. Does that remind you of anything? Brothers and sisters, that's an image of repentance. All of us, likewise, we tend to think, oh, I'm not like Shimei. I'm like one of the faithful in Israel. Shimei was the one who cursed the king. And many of us throughout our lives can look back and see at times throughout our lives where our lifestyle, our thoughts and our words and our actions have actually cursed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have rebelled against Him. 
And yet, when we have fallen on our knees in repentance and have pled to Christ for mercy, like King David shows to Shimei, we see here, Jesus has also shown grace to us. Aren't you so thankful for His grace to us sinners? So, things get squared away with Shimei as he's about ready to cross the Jordan. Guess who else shows up? Mephibosheth, who's also a relative of King Saul. If you remember, he was lied about, Mephibosheth was, from uh, his servant Ziba. When King David left, Ziba lied about Mephibosheth, who David showed much kindness to. And Ziba said, hey, listen, uh, Mephibosheth is staying with Absalom, and he's glad that you're now needing to leave in exile. And he's and he actually slandered Mephibosheth. King David said to Ziba, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. Mephibosheth, he's an excellent example here in this story because he goes out to meet the king upon his return. And David says, listen, um, I've decided on this matter. You are going to split the land with Ziba. So before Mephibosheth had all of his land, Ziba, because he slandered Mephibosheth, now gets half of it. And Mephibosheth says to King David, let him, speaking of the man who slandered him, let him have all my land. Now that I see that you, the king, are coming back into Jerusalem safely, that's all that matters to me. What an example, brothers and sisters, of one of the faithful ones in Israel. He's not serving King David for what he can get from King David. He's serving King David because he's king and he's loyal and he's a good faithful follower of King David. And he's not even concerned and bitter about the fact that he was slandered and half his property was taken from him. He's showing himself one of the king's faithful. And he's also more concerned about the king coming home safe than he is about the land that he lost. Let us likewise be men and women of God who are most concerned about the cause of the king and the fame of the king and the proclamation of the king of, king of kings, Jesus Christ, more than we are concerned about our own affairs, our own financial affairs, our own personal prosperity, Let's have the mindset of Mephibosheth. Let everybody have it all as long as the King of Kings, it's well with him and his cause. Amen. I'm really moved by Mephibosheth's example here. We see that the kingdom actually starts to get divided, though. You see later on in First and Second Kings that the tribe of Judah gets separated from the ten northern tribes. Of Israel, and you see that start to happen here in 2 Samuel chapter 19. As King David is coming back into Jerusalem, David says to his brothers from the tribe of Judah, Hey, feel free to bring me back in. And the people of Israel, the ten northern tribes, they were kind of late in the game getting to the Jordan. Judah crosses over the Jordan River with King David to protect him, to bring him back in safely to Jerusalem. And the ten northern tribes of Israel are angry with the tribe of Judah for not including them in the king's procession back in to Jerusalem. And you see some of that play out in 2 Samuel chapter 19. It actually says 
it describes the argument. If you look at verse 41, then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, we have 10 shares in the king. And in David, we also have more than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. And there starts to be this division between the tribe of Judah, who is King David's home tribe, and the ten tribes, the northern tribes of Israel. And it's so sad here, brothers and sisters, because you see just division amongst the people of God taking place over something that was, eternally speaking, a trifle. What we can learn from this, brothers and sisters, let us not disagree as brothers and sisters in Christ over things that don't need to be disagreed upon. Let us fight to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And look at how this degenerates, where this jealousy over the tribe of Judah getting to take the king across the Jordan and into his triumphal entry back into Jerusalem, how it leads to further division. Look at chapter 20. It positioned this situation to happen. Now there happened to be there a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjaminite. And he blew the trumpet and said, we have no portion in David and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, this divisive man, the son of Bichri, but the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. I love that phrase. Let us, brothers and sisters of the Lord, let us be like the men of Judah who follow King Jesus steadfastly and not get offended over trifles and say, to my own tent. And follow a man like Sheba who's got his own interests at heart. It's, it's, so, it's so crazy here. You see, there's a steadfast following of the faithful servants of the Lord. And then there is a personal fleeing to their own tents from the ten northern tribes in Israel. Well, the men of Judah go after this guy, Sheba. He goes and he kind of takes refuge in this city called Abel. And Amasa, who, is repla- who replaces Joab... Joab gets jealous of Amasa because now Amasa is appointed by King David as top commander in the place instead of Joab. Joab doesn't like needing to serve under anybody else. And so he finds an opportunity to take Amasa with his right hand. He grabs his beard, feigning friendship, and he stabs, Joab does, Amasa in his, in his gut and kills him and throws him off the side of the road, covers him with a blanket. It's like, you're just dead to me. You see that there's this awful cold-heartedness in Joab that begins to play out more and more. 
there were some wonderful qualities to him as a soldier. And he did a lot of good on the battlefield, but he was treacherous inside. He was selfishly ambitious. He did not like getting replaced by a Mesa and he acted on it and did everything he could to strike down a Mesa and a Mesa died. They had no other commander, so Joab's the de facto commander. He goes and lays siege to this town called Abel in Israel. So you got men from the tribe of Judah laying siege to a city in Israel. And it's like, oh Lord, look at what division does in the life of your people. Protect your people from divisions and divisive men and women and Help us all to keep our eyes on the King. And all of us to stay loyal and steadfast in our service to the King. So often division and divisiveness takes place in the life of the church. And unity is broken when one or more of God's people take their eyes off of their steadfast service to the King of Kings. And start looking at minor offenses with one another. And brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. We look at what it leads to in Sheba's life. He's now taking refuge in this city. Joab's about ready to destroy the entire city of Abel in Israel. It's a faithful city. It's called a mother city in Israel. And Joab's bringing the whole thing down until another faithful servant of the king who's within the city walls She's described in chapter 20 as the wise woman. I love, I love this lady. I love her story because she's just in the city. She sees Joab laying siege to Abel. And she talks to Joab from the wall and says, essentially, what's the problem here? We can settle this through discussion rather than bringing the walls of the city and destroying all the inhabitants of the city. And Joab answers her. And he tells her essentially that the problem we have out here is that you're harboring Sheba, who was the divisive man who has caused all this trouble. And this wise woman comes up with a very simple solution. She says, Sheba's head will be thrown to you from the city wall. And so, God uses this wise woman to carry out justice upon one when Sheba's rebellion against the king would have destroyed an entire city. Instead, this wise woman rises up, exercises much courage, I might add, and says, hey, why should all die when we can get this man, this perpetrator of the division, this rebellion against King David, and we can take care of it that way. Her story is amazing. I want to encourage you to read chapter 20 in its detail because I love, I love how God raises up righteous and wise women of God in the church to be a blessing to the church. Ladies, I'm so thankful to God for you in our midst and the wisdom that John and I as elders benefit from all the time. And we're so grateful for you. Young ladies, I want to encourage you to to aspire to be one of the wise women in Israel that's used by God to bring about much good and love and faithfulness and justice. And I love the way she self-describes herself. Do you see this? It's so cool the way she describes herself. She says in verse 19, look in chapter 20, verse 19. 
She says, I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. There is nothing better to be able to say about yourself, brothers and sisters, than that. Let that be the goal of our life. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Christ's church. Amen? That's that's the epitaph I want over my life. And I love the way she says that about herself. She knows herself. She knows the times. She knows the situation. She knows what's fitting. And this wise woman provided a solution that saved many lives in Israel on this day. She showed her faithfulness to King David. And Sheba, the rebellious one, brothers and sisters, was cut down. This is important to remember for all of us. Those of us who rebel against King Jesus will be cut down and experience the judgment of God. If we do not turn from our sins in repentance, if we do not trust in Jesus, if we lead people away from Jesus, we will be cut down. It's so tragic to see how many people are not only walking away from Jesus in these days, but are also seeking to influence others to walk away from Jesus as well. Brothers and sisters, they have their day and they lift their voice and they cause trouble in Israel. But brothers and sisters, it's important for us to note their end. It is a tragic one in the end for the likes of Sheba and those who turn their backs in rebellion on King David, and more importantly, on King Jesus. Sowing division and heartbreak into the house of God, bearing bad fruit with their lives, and like a tree that bears bad fruit, it is cut down, thrown into the fire, and burned on the final day of judgment. Let us all recognize the eternal implications of whether or not the king has his rightful place in our heart. Let all of us follow the wise woman's example in her loyalty to the king and let us shun and run away from any Sheba-like tendencies that lie within our hearts. Amen? Let us take stock of that and take note of that. Well, I want to touch in on one more section of Scripture I think you're going to love. It's in chapter 21. Um... And I want you to look at first, verse 15. We'll cover that first section at the end. Um, but I want to look at verse 15 of chapter 21. And let's read it together. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with his servants. I, I love this story. And they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. And Ishbi Benab, one of the descendants of the giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, fought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. I love the men of Christ Community Church and how they are warriors who fight to have each other's back. It says, then David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, they're talking to the king, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now the lamp of Israel is speaking of the royal messianic line that's going to usher forth the true lamp of Israel, the light of the world, King Jesus himself. Verse 18 says this, and it goes on being inspiring. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. 
Then Sibekai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And look at this guy. Elhanan, the son of Jerorodim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath, the Gittite. The shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath. And there was a man of great stature who had six figures on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. David did it, but David didn't do it alone. He needed warriors. He needed younger men on the battlefield with him. He was getting old. He had fought many battles. I'm so struck here at church with the fact that there's like a new Goliath for a new generation. And I was moved by this, and I just want to just bear my heart out before you here. Us older saints, okay, we're not going to be around forever. But while we are here on this earth, let us do everything we can to just fan into flame the gifts and the passions of the young men and women of God in our church, to see them get raised up to fight the Goliaths in their generation. Let us not wax and wane in our zeal, but as we go on into older age, let us be like David who goes out on the battlefield at the risk of his own life and says, I'm going to do everything I can to help the young win this battle. And let the young, oh, my brothers and sisters who are younger, look at the example of the young men in this section of Scripture. They, they looked out for King, they, King David, the older battle weary veteran and they tell him listen we want you to stay back we got this and they rise up and and you've got this man Elhanan from Israel who goes and slays a Goliath of a new generation now listen I am moved by this I think it's something for all of us to take to heart we all have to do our purposes of God in the in the generation that we grew up in and David slew his Goliath And now Hannah needs to slay his. And let us do everything we can to band together as brothers and sisters in Christ to be faithful on the battlefield all the way until we cross the finish line, older saints and younger saints. I ask you this. Will you have our backs on the battlefield as we grow older and wearier? Who amongst you, young people, will proclaim the name of the King of Kings and fight and slay your Goliath so that the children back in children's ministry right now will have leaders, men and women, men and women of the Word, wise women of the Word, and young men carrying their swords And as Alex said so well, the world is seeking to intimidate all of us and tell us to be silent, don't speak. No, we are going to speak and we are going to proclaim Christ in this generation and we will proclaim Christ in the next. And He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will save sinners, lost sinners in this culture. He will snatch people out of the darkness, bring them into the light from one generation to the next. From Jerusalem all the way 
across the entire world. Nothing can stop the gospel's power. Nothing can stop the people of God, filled by the Spirit of God, from slaying their Goliaths. So do not fear the Goliaths of the new generation, young people. We will be there to help you. We will be there to equip you. We will put the sword in your hand. But young people, I just want to say this. I'm burdened. We cannot fight your battles for you. And I, I, the, 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 the phrase that came to my mind for you, this applies to every one of us, but for you, don't just go to church. Go to church. Go. We're not seeking to build a local church here where everybody's just a spectator. Everybody's on the sidelines. We're here to be fed, 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 fed. So we can just get fat on the word, but do nothing. No, we are going to get the word into our systems. We're going to take up the sword and we're going to do damage for the glory of God. We're going to go forth and we're going to plant churches. We're going to go forth and we're going to share the gospel to this lost, confused world filled with fear, filled with no truth as the darkness grows dimmer. Christ is going to raise up his church to go forth. To slay the Goliaths of a new generation. But young people, we need you. We need you. This is your church. This isn't just your mom and dad's church. This is your church. And we want you to own it as such. And start to step up. And serve yourselves as many of you are. Don't stand on the sidelines. Physically or spiritually. Get in the game. And let's serve Christ together. Young and old linking arms in the local church and watching God work. The old cheering on the younger saints who are ministering to the children growing up in children's ministry until it's their time to slay their Goliath and fight their battles. Let us be like Barzillai in his 80s saying, I can't even get out on the battlefield anymore. But you know what I got? I got some money and resources. And David, fear not. I'm going to feed you in the wilderness in your exile. I'm going to give you bedding. You see King David right before he crosses the Jordan in this section? King David kisses Barzillai. He says, is there anything I can do for you? Do you want to come back into Jerusalem and live the rest of my days out here? And Barzillai says, no, I'm going to go back and live in my town. I'm going to be buried with my father. I'm going to continue to be faithful where I'm at. But you know what? I'll send my son with you, Chimham. And Chimham goes in with David, and Chimham and his relatives stay in Jerusalem for generations and serve there. An ongoing evidence of loyalty to the king. Let us be like those precious saints who did what they could. Let's not leave anything on the court, but do everything we can do in our generation to fight the Lord's battles, for He is worthy of it. Amen? Amen. Let's not shrink back and be intimidated by this world. But let us come before them in the name of the Lord with the sword of the Word of God. Knowing it's not by might or by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. And let us enjoy watching Christ advance His glorious gospel to the nations.
And let's do everything we can to speed it along and help it go forward. Amen? Thanks for letting me get that out. <laughs> that, that was just, I saw Goliath, a new Goliath. I, it's just, oh Lord, help me. But I, I just love your zeal, church. Let's, let's burn with even greater zeal on the battlefield for the glory of God. That's why we're here. We're not here just to take up space and be spectators in the church. Don't just go to church. Go to church with a mission, with a purpose. Amen? Final word, uh, I just want to look at uh, 21 in the first section there. If you look at verse 1, Now there was a famine in in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, There's blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So there's blood guilt on the house of Saul because he killed Gibeonites. Do you know where this happened? If you trace all the, this goes all the way back to Joshua chapter 9. 300 years before, Joshua and the people of Israel made a covenant with the Gibeonites. Remember the Gibeonite deception? They brought the old moldy bread and deceived them. And they made a covenant when they shouldn't have with the Gibeonites. But they gave the word to the Gentile Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites became servants who were untouchable by death then before Israel. Saul, as king, 300 years later, ignores that, kills the Gibeonites. God remembers His people's promises from 300 years before and holds them to it. I forget what I say in a given week. God does not forget the promises we make to one another. And He doesn't forget His promises. And He calls us to stay faithful to our word. Saul doesn't do that. And there's blood guilt on him and on his house because he killed the Gibeonites. Famine on the land for three years because the Israelites didn't keep their word. Thank goodness David sought the face of the Lord to figure out what was going on. What ends up happening, and you see this here, verse 5, David goes to the Gibeonites. Look at verse, uh, verse 3. And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and how shall I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord. And the Gibeonites said to him, it's not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul and his house, neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, what do you say that I shall do for you? And they said to the king, the man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place at all in the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us so that we might hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. So King David spares Mephibosheth, Saul's relative, because he gave that promise years before to Jonathan when he made his covenant to him and to his descendants and seed. I won't touch them. Mephibosheth is safe. David didn't forget his covenant promise to Jonathan. Christ doesn't forget his covenant promise to us. So when everything else falls down and everyone else the wicked get slayed. We, like Mephibosheth, are spared because of the covenant promise of the king. But Saul's other relatives are hung in order for atonement to be made. What we learn here, and what we're reminded of here, is that in order for atonement for sin to be made, death needs to happen. 
For the wages of sin is death. Brothers and sisters, Christ died for us. His sacrifice on the cross was, a, was our sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. We are reminded in this section that sin is serious against God and requires atoning death to make satisfaction for it. It wasn't until the seven sons of Saul were hung that the Lord responded to the plea for the land, as it says in verse 14. Now, because of what Christ has done for us in dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead for us, I have good news for you, fellow sinner in this room. Your sins have been taken away. Your guilt has been atoned for because of the death of a substitute who said, I'm not going to let them be hung for their own sins like they deserve. I'm going to go and I'm going to be hung on the cross so that they might go free. Glorious gospel. Glorious good news. And church, aren't you so thankful for this King of kings and Lord of lords who came and died willingly for the sins that we've rebelliously committed against Him? Aren't you so grateful? Amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, would die for me? And I close with this question as we began it. Does the King, King Jesus, have His rightful place in your heart? Worship team, if you can return, let us bow our heads and let's give King Jesus the rightful place in our hearts that He deserves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such love that you would die for sinners like us, that you would empower us, Father, that you would give us courage, Lord God, strength and wisdom, Lord God, grace, the power of your Holy Spirit to go out this week, Lord God, to live by faith and not by sight, Almighty Father to seek Goliath and slay Goliath in your name by your power, Lord God, by your strength, to be faithful, to read your word, to love one another, to love our spouses, to love our fathers and mothers, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, the lost, Almighty Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Go in grace. Serve and love Jesus.